This is Ron Oral, and you're listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast. And I'm super excited to be speaking today with Ben Axler, founder of Spruce Point Capital Management, an activist fund that predicted in late April that Forescout Technologies' 1.9 billion combination with Ad- Advent International would, would falter, which it did. Though today it looks like they agreed to a reduced price. We'll hopefully talk a little bit about that later on. Ben has a new campaign underway now at Prestige Consumer Healthcare, which hopefully we'll also talk about a bit. And just as a little bit of an introduction, Ben will be joining me and a panel of activists in our middle market activism amidst COVID-19 virtual conference on Monday, July 27th at 1 p.m. Along with Ben, we'll have Barrington Capitalist Jim Tritanda, a longtime activist investor, maybe 20 years doing activism. Snow Park's Jeffrey Pierce, Coast Capitalist James Rasta, and uh, hopefully uh, activists investing today, listeners will join us then as well. So Ben, thanks for taking some time to talk to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, your interest in our work here. Okay, so first tell me a little bit about your background and uh, prior to forming Spruce Point and a little bit about Spruce Point, uh, when it was formed and, and just the strategy of investing. Absolutely, so I've been in capital markets now for about 20 years, I started during the first, you know, tech boom at mm-hmm. Credit Suisse First Boston, mm-hmm. right when we acquired DLJ. That was my first uh, experience uh, going through uh, an interesting M&A uh, transaction while at the same time, you know, as an investment banker there advising on M&A deals, corporate financings and risk management strategies. Then was recruited, worked at Barclays Capital here in New York, covering industrials, providing banking services and was there through the acquisition of Lehman Brothers. So after having gone through two of the largest investment banking deals you know, on the street, I decided in 08, my real interest was investing and what better time to start at the ground, ground zero at the bottom when equities were arguably the cheapest they've been uh, in multi-decades. So Spruce Point was launched initially as an activist firm, but more on the long side, okay. uh, looking at a very small and small mid microcap stocks that were very high asymmetric risk reward, um, just again, given the dislocation. But over time, after a lot of the easy money was armed away after the first few rounds of quantitative easing, I turned my uh, focus more onto the short side, which I happened to stumble across some companies in the smaller cap space that I thought were not accurately representing their business models and using creative accounting and you know other practices to inflate their share price. And so that's how Spruce Point evolved to today, and we are now an activist short seller. Um, we do forensic research on companies, try to identify companies using aggressive financial presentation accounting methods, try to find companies with poor governance mis- or misalignments between investors and shareholders. Um, in extreme cases, try to find companies that are misrepresenting their products or, or you know, in a most nefarious case, committing some act of fraud and try to you know, share our research publicly and try to change the dynamic and perception about what the intrinsic value of a stock price is worth. Yes. So that kind of explains uh, what I was going to be my next question, which, uh, you know, you you describe yourself on your website as an activist forensic financial researcher that has exposed billions of dollars of financial schemes globally. And when I looked at that, I was thinking when you use the word forensics, I was thinking of CSI Las Vegas, you know, investigating a murder or a crime. But uh, I guess uh, part of what Spruce Point does is it 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 uh, it identifies crimes, obviously not murders, but, uh, you know, uh, financial frauds and things like that that's part of part of what you guys look to do right 
Right. So, I mean, forensic, it's, it's very much investigative. Mm -hmm. uh, we're doing it. We're, you know, running background checks on executives and directors and mm -hmm. audit partners and people that are involved with the decision making um, that go behind the presentation of the financials and ultimately the propagation of the stock price. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're looking for areas where maybe management or board members have omitted key aspects of their bio that would have led investors to see that they failed uh, in prior business experiences. We're also looking, you know, at accounting methods. And when we, we do a forensic investigation, we look at changes uh, of accounting policies that companies might use to bolster their financials. We might look at, we might do a forensic investigation of the product or service that the company claims to be offering. In one case, for example, one of our more successful cases, a company called Caesar Stone uh, that makes quartz countertop products. We took the product, we sent it to a testing lab, and, you know, it was our belief that the company was mismarketing the amount of quartz it had in the product. So forensic, you know, it's investigation. It's, it's doing a second, third, and fourth order level of due diligence that we feel is has generally been lacking with the sell-side research that the banks produce. Okay, so I have to ask this. I did a feature about this several years ago, and it may be time to return. Do you uh, hire private investigators to help you uh, with some of your forensic research? You know, people that will go and in investigate and uh, look into individuals. Like I, I heard that that was something that some of the bigger activist funds have, have employed with some of their campaigns. Yes, so that's 100% true. We have done investigative work with outside partners. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, in today's world of researching stocks and making investment decisions, there's a lot of information out there that can be gleaned, you know, obviously from SEC filings, from uh, scraping websites, from talking to channel partners, et cetera. So we're trying to do that deeper dive and try to uncover, you know, areas um, in an, an executive or it could be a board member's behavioral patterns that might lead to a, a breakage of alignment between what the executive should be doing for investors or what they say they're doing and what they're actually doing. So absolutely, that is a, um, a toolkit that we have in our toolbox for our research. Okay, that's really interesting. So I did, uh, you, at the beginning, you were kind of talking how it sounded like Spruce Post initially uh, focused on uh, long active, you know, long investing activism, and now it's shifted predominantly or completely, you know, 100% now into short selling activism. Let's say 99%. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so let's talk about uh, a, a fascinating situation, kind of an M&A kind of activism you were involved in. And at the deal, we were impressed that uh, you predicted in April that the Scout Advent deal would run into difficulties and which in May, Scout filed suit to hold Advent to its privatization deal. Shares dropped fairly precipitously on the news. So what happened there? And then maybe talk, uh, I don't know if, if it's something you're still following, but uh, I have to bring up, you know, today they, they struck a revised deal at a reduced price, $29 a share, definitely a discount to the $33 a share that Avon agreed to pay in February, but well above the low 20s per share where Forescout had traded after Forescout said in May that the companies were not proceeding with the buyout. So t tell us a little bit about that situation. Yeah, so Forescout struck a deal with Advent pre- the WHO de declaring COVID a, a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so we turned our attention to all the deals that have been announced, you know, call it February, January, early March, mm -hmm. when the market was robust, when valuations were rich. And it became obvious to us after we started reviewing Four Scouts business, um, doing channel checks, doing some due diligence, but also reviewing the proxy filings that we felt 
but there was certainly room for that share price to come down to reflect the new reality. Forescout you know, makes a cybersecurity product. They sell it to big corporations, but also to small and medium-sized businesses as part of their growth plan. You know, we uh, did some checks in the industry. It was very clear that there was a, a pause of, of deals happening and that their industry was not immune to price concessions, et cetera. And so our projections were, I would say, more pessimistic than the projections that had been indicated in the proxy statement you know, that Forescout gave to investors. There was also a question in our mind whether or not Forescout was, was potentially withholding some more pessimistic projections that ultimately came out in their recent earnings announcement. So we felt it was a good risk reward. I and mean, with the share price, with the takeover deal at $33 and the share price hovering at $32 and change, uh, we felt that the share price didn't reflect the high probability that the deal could get renegotiated. And so that's why we found it to be a good short. Um, we also wrote a letter to Advent laying out our concerns of why we thought that they did have room to negotiate the deal. And subsequently, they, they did. And and uh, that's sort of how it played out. I mean, but was there something in the, in the contract uh, that uh, suggested that Advent would have an out in the deal and that, you know, clearly they, they renegotiated a lower price. So now that's all water under the bridge, but was that a factor in your consideration? Yeah, I think a lot of people were, were, were clearly taking a look at the strength of of the merger agreement to see, you know, what potential outs Advent could have. A lot of people paid close attention to the definition of material adverse change. Yes. (laughs) We've been looking at those a lot lately. Some of them include pandemics, some don't. (laughs) Right, right. And, you know, our interpretation of the language was that, you know, Forescout had to have a materially worse change in their business relative to their peers, of which we felt strongly that that would be the case. And so, that informed our decision again to, to take a short position. Ultimately, as you as you know, Advent balked. Uh, litigation was commenced, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you know, I guess both parties realized that litigation is inherently uncertain, uncertain and costly. And you know, it looks like they came to a revised agreement at a lower price. And so, you know, we on Twitter today tweeted, "Both bulls made money. The shorts made money." And at the end of the day, it was a successful outcome for everybody because Advent got a, a lower price and Forescout still was able to sell its company, you know, at, at a rich multiple. And, uh, you know, both parties will uh, will move on and we'll, we'll be following it, you know, tangentially to see how Advent does in the future, even though it's a private company. But, but yeah, that was the outcome and, and that's how it played out. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, we had a good timing for our podcast and see how the whole uh, litigation uh, came to a conclusion today. So, um, okay, so talk. you have a new campaign underway with a lengthy presentation uh, going with it at a company, uh, Prestige Consumer Healthcare. Just a little bit of information on that. When did you launch the campaign? Uh, you know, how's it doing? I, I know that uh, Prestige had problems with some debt-fueled acquisitions in the past, uh, in your opinion. What can you tell us a little bit about this new campaign? Sure. So this is um, a classic type of short that we like here at Spruce Point, and I'll explain why. Prestige is a roll-up. It's a company whose business model is predicated on acquiring brands that are either orphaned from bigger companies or being sold by other private equity companies looking to harvest returns. Prestige, over time, has promised to generate synergies through 
organic growth and cost savings through these acquisitions. It's our belief that management has failed miserably, particularly on the metric of organic growth based upon our analysis, which unravels a lot of noise presented from acquiring companies and merging financials over time that, that the company really has created no organic growth in their business. And our belief now is that as the fundamentals in its market are changing, that the, the company is on the precipice of organic growth decline. Now, why, why might consumers be changing their purchasing decision for, for sore throat medicine or for salines or other things in the drugstore? Well, the brick and mortar drug category is under tremendous amount of pressure. Prestige sells a lot into Walmart, Walgreens, mm-hmm. CVS. We think, you know, post COVID, the world has accelerated its desire to, to buy things through e-commerce, through Amazon, through online means. And Prestige only has low single digits of its revenue online. And we think their products are not well suited to be sold online. Why? So they have branded products. A lot of their products are off patent. So there's generic versions that can be sold much cheaper. So if you go into CVS, for example, and you want to look for their London's cough drop, you know, you'll see that CVS or whatever store has their own house cough drop branded. It's cheaper. It has better product placement on the shelf. If you go online and you type in cough drop, you will also see that the retailer favors its products and promotes its products before prestigious. So, you know, we think they're structurally challenged to sell their product. I think part of your concern is that people just uh, are, feel uncomfortable going to the CVS at this point, right? That they would prefer to buy things online if they could avoid physically having to go down there. Sure. And, and look, I think, you know, over time, e-commerce has just proven a better business model. It's uh, for the retailer, right? It strips out you know, all the um, overhead, a lot of the labor and the fixed operating, re- you know, real estate costs of, of operating a business. So in an increasingly e-commerce centered world, um, a company that doesn't have a, a good e-commerce strategy and, and whose product is not promoted or positioned at the high end of the search, when the consumer goes for the search is, is in a structural challenge position. So mm-hmm. that's part of our, our issue there. The last part, uh, I know we talked about and I said we do investigations in terms of who the executives are, who the board is. Uh, the CFO and chief accounting officer, Prestige, is a, is a lady named Christine Sacco. Uh, why is that name important? It's because she used to be the CFO of a company called Boulder Brands. Boulder Brands is a company that was a roll-up of food products. Um, in my prior life, I co-founded a firm called Precious Point Research. We ended up seeing a lot of strain in that company's financials and reporting that company also sold a lot to Walmart, just like Prestige did. And that research that Christian's Point put out on Boulder was very prescient in seeing the collapse of Boulder brands. And so we're seeing a lot of behavioral similarities between how Ms. Sacco is implementing her strategies and accounting methods and presentations at Prestige as we're at Boulder. And so if we look at the behavioral aspects here and what's going on, we kind of expect a similar outcome with Prestige and hope that they will ultimately come clean and tell the market that they're under more great, more, more pressure than they've led on, led investors to believe. Yeah, I used to write about Boulder Brands uh, a fair bit. That was the one that Engaged Capital's uh, Glenn Welling had a campaign at, right? And uh, wasn't Boulder Brands sold to Pinnacle Foods uh, a yeah, while so ago? Or yeah, I, eventually it was um, it was uh, sold to a strategic um, at a much lower price from where we initially warned 
about the problems. And, and actually subsequent to that, if you follow that story, even under the new corporate owner, I think Boulder Brand's products have languished a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, look, the assets flip around from time to time, but we don't think anybody would look to buy prestige brands because it's a, a mishmash of different brands, none of which have any synergy together, all of which have no growth. There, there's over you know, a billion and a half dollars of debt on the business. It's quite highly levered. We think it's richly valued. If, and, and one way we assess value is we look at what prestige has paid over time for each of these brands. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the multiple that prestige trades at, it trades at a premium to the multiples of all the sum of the multiples of all the businesses they bought. And we don't believe that should be the case because mm-hmm. we believe over time, a lot of these businesses have decayed and declined since prestige has bought them. So we think the multiple of the business um, has room to contract. All right, we'll be watching Prestige Consumer Healthcare in the weeks and months to come. Before we wrap up, I wanted to just leave our audience with a broader question. And I know you do a lot of your investing in the in the middle market. So I'm curious if you think the, uh, you know, talk a little bit about some of the bigger trends you're seeing in the middle market in terms of activism, you know, give us a sense of the, the kind of companies you maybe will be looking for in, in the weeks and months to come. You know, I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity in the, in the middle market. I think the, you know, we believe that the quality of research from the sell side has diminished over time. You know, the, when I started in the business, banks had the flexibility to fund large research teams. But over time, you know, sell side research has become a, a big cost center for the banks. And so the ranks of sell side analysts have gone thin. We also think there's a tremendous amount of lack of alternative research right now, you know, in the, what are we in a more than a 10 year bull market? There's few, if anyone saying sell, uh, we think the street is still structurally too, too bullish. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think, we think we're in a prolonged, we think we're going to be in a prolonged slow growth economy, particularly in post post COVID. And there's a lot of businesses that are struggling that are being kept afloat by silly, you know, monetary policies that are propping up, businesses that, that could be bankrupt or, or, sh- or don't need to exist. And so we're looking at a lot of debt-heavy businesses like Prestige, mm-hmm. a lot of low-growth, no-growth businesses that are inflecting. And we're also looking at who the shareholders are. I think one of the challenges that you know we can talk about is, has been indexation and yeah. the amount of passive I was just thinking about the index funds and their impact on uh, on these kind of these companies. But go on, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's look candidly, it's it's made it difficult to to have a voice with some shareholders when when your shareholder is just passive buyer to match an index and mm-hmm. has very little regard for governance or, or or fundamentals. And so that's on the challenging side. But on the positive side, there's no shortage of companies that are right you know, for a shakeup to be shorted that, that are overvalued, that are trading at all-time high inflated multiples and at a complete disconnect with the underlying economy and the, and the real fundamentals. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Your point about the uh, small cap companies and the lack of sell-side research analysts, kind of a black hole <laughs> some of these companies are operating. And uh, we really appreciate you kind of giving us all this context. So, Ben, you've been listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast, and we've been talking to Ben Axler of Spruce Point Management. Uh, reminder, he'll be speaking with us in a couple of weeks at the Deals Middle Market Virtual Conference. And uh, Ben, we really appreciate you taking the time. 
Thank you for having me. I, I look forward to seeing you in person and big fan of you guys and your work and looking forward to continuing the dialogue.